the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. close with a special promise or reward to the overcomers, to to the believers who respond to his rebuke, who repent, who get right with him. There's a special promise in store and all close with the same challenge. He who has an ear, let him hear. Every single letter, Jesus ends that way. If you have an ear, if you hear what I'm saying, take notice is what he says. Listen to what I'm saying and, and hear just even more than the words, hear the meaning behind what I'm saying here. Jesus, along with what's described as a cloud of witnesses, are cheering you on as you live out your faith. Sometimes we have this mindset that God is watching us and deploying His angels to monitor our every behavior so He can catch us in sin and punish us. He does see all of you, the good and the bad, But as we'll be reminded in today's message from Pastor Gary, God is for you. He wants to see you succeed, and He sent His Son Jesus to make that possible, simply by trusting in Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In chapter 1, verse 9, John, this is John the Apostle, he writes, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he, he gives us the reasons, again, why he was banished to Patmos. It was a a prison camp, a Domitian, the Roman emperor, had banished him there for these reasons, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was being persecuted as a Christian. He's an old man now in his 90s, and nevertheless, he has now been relegated to this prison camp where he's basically uh, chipping away at marble. Patmos is an island that is largely uh, of marble and uh, just a small island, 13 square miles in the Aegean Sea, one of the Greek islands, and there he is uh, banished and, and, you know, in his old age. And it says in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now we mentioned last week, obviously Lord's day means Sunday. He's writing on, on a particular day here, Sunday. And that in the Greek original language, the article the in front of the word spirit is not there. So it literally reads, I was in spirit on the Lord's day. In other words, God had, had given him more than just a vision that God somehow uh, supernaturally transported him to some place here where, where John is lifted up uh, and he is able to see and to behold and to witness these various events 
about which uh, he writes. And so he is in spirit on the Lord's day. He says, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. It wasn't a trumpet. It sounded so, you know, uh, loud that it was like a trumpet saying, verse 11, and if you have a Bible with red letter edition, you're going to see here, this is Jesus now speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then this is where we left off, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now, I'm going to pause there because he begins to describe the Son of Man. So he hears this loud voice behind him. He turns around and he's going to behold this incredible vision of Jesus. But um, before he describes Jesus, he talks about how he sees seven golden lampstands. Now, these are menorahs. This is what is traditionally called in the Hebrew menorah. And uh, this is basically a picture of one. It's a seven-branched candelabra. It was the only source of light in the temple. By the time that John writes this, the temple's been destroyed since 70 AD. Uh, But nevertheless, when the temple was still standing, the menorah made out of gold was the only source of light in the temple. And John sees seven of these. Now, it tells us further down, and I gave gave you the reference on, on the screen. It tells us further down, if you'll jump ahead to verse 20, what exactly the seven lampstands represent. So in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We'll explain that later. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So he sees literally these seven menorahs because they're going to represent what we get to in chapters two and three, seven different churches that Jesus is going to dictate a letter to. And these churches are represented each by a menorah. Now, that is significant because, you know, what did Jesus say about us? Jesus not only said that he was the light of the world, he turns to us. And when he basically hands the mantle of ministry to us, that the church should continue to express Jesus and uh, 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 demonstrate Jesus and share about Jesus, he says to us, you are the light of the world. And, and he says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The church is to be the light in a dark world. There's a reason why the menorah is symbolic of the church in, the, in this passage here. Because we are to be the light in the midst of darkness. Have you noticed how dark our world is? And how darker it's becoming? Okay, well the answer is you don't scream at the darkness. The answer is you turn on the light. And... The light that we are to illuminate is, of course, Jesus. So the church is to be, you know, the light set on a hill that we might let the light of the Lord shine and we might reflect Jesus in our culture, in our world. So this is what he sees. He sees seven golden lampstands, these menorahs. And again, verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now underline that, the Son of Man, that is a messianic title straight out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. A messianic title, which of course applies exclusively to Jesus, seeing as how he is the Messiah. So he sees 
the Son of Man, he sees Jesus, he sees the Messiah, John does, and now there's this great description here between verses 13 and 16, and I've summarized the description in these four ways. In verse 13, he describes his majesty. We're going to read it. In verse 14, he describes the purity of Jesus. In verse 15, he describes the authority of Jesus. And then in verse 16, he describes his glory, or in the Hebrew, Shekinah. So in verse 13, this is part of his vision of Jesus. He says, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed, here we go, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Okay, so you're seeing here this description. Now, this is not like, you know, the Jesus on the flannel boards when I was growing up, okay? Uh, Jesus meek and mild, you know, uh, gentle, you know, patting little kids on the head. And that. this is Jesus now in full glory, white hair, white as snow. This is, white is indicative of his purity. Eyes like a flame of fire. That, that, that's the idea of judgment. He's coming now in, in judgment. Verse 15, his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So all of this description here, and um, you know, this this whole description about seven stars is going to explain a little bit later. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. It's not that he, you know, carries a sword in his teeth, but it's the idea that this is the word of God that is going forth from his mouth. He is the personification of the word. He is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he comes in in the full array of his glory, and and John sees him like this. Now, this is very similar. If you We'll come back to chapter 1, but if you jump ahead to chapter 19, when Jesus actually comes back to earth uh, for his second coming, John writes in chapter 19 a description of of Jesus in the full array of his glory, and it's very, very similar language. And I just want to, for comparative sake, uh, show you Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. This is when Jesus actually comes again, and this is what he will look like when he comes back to earth. And so what we have in chapter 1 is basically a preview because John sees Jesus, but now in chapter 19, this is what Jesus looks like similarly. When he comes back to earth, verse 11, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, these are not angels. These are the saints. We'll talk about it when we get there. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress 
of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah and amen to that, right? By the way, some people have pointed out that he has a name written on his thigh, so even Jesus has a tattoo. Well, there you go. Back to chapter 1. So John sees Jesus like this, this great description of him. And he goes on, it goes on to say in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This does not mean he was slain in the spirit. This just means he's, he's undone here. You know, when you, you behold, you know, the presence and the glory of the Lord and you get a glimpse of him, you, you're falling on your, on your face uh, and, and um, you're, you're bowing at his feet and you're, you're worshiping him, but you're, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're just undone. And it says, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. And so the Lord, you know, declares himself to be the risen Lord. Again, I've said this many times, this is what separates Christianity from all of the world religions. Only Christianity worships a risen Savior. All of the world religions worship a leader who has died and been buried. Gandhi, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, they're all in graves, or, or at the least their ashes have been scattered in different places. Jesus is alive because he conquered sin and death. He conquered Hades and death. And he says to John there in verse 19, I want you to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now, I mentioned in the intro, and I'll say this again, right here in verse 19 is an outline of the entire book of Revelation. Because Jesus says to John, I want you to write the things you have seen. That's chapter 1. Then I want you to write the things which are present age. That's the church age, chapters 2 and 3. And then he says, I want you to write the things which will take place after this. The Greek is meta tauta, and that's chapters 4 through 22. So right there in chapter 1, verse 19, is an outline of the entire book of Revelation. And uh, Jesus tells him, I want, you to, I want you to write this down. And, and uh, he, he, told, he told John that often, a total of 12 times through the book of Revelation. John is told, write this down, write this down, write this down. Again, if you're beholding all these incredible visions, you know, you're just, you're so dumbfounded that once in a while you have to be told, okay, keep writing, keep writing. And so he's told to write these things down, which he does. In verse 20 now, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and in the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, circle that word, of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, the word angel there does not mean, as it normally does, these spirit beings that attend to the Lord and that circulate in the spirit realm. When you go here to chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, "...to the angel of the church of Ephesus write." So the word angel there in the Greek is agalos. Agalos translates messenger. 
And in the context of these seven letters that are dictated, they don't mean angels in terms of spirit beings that are active in the spirit realm. The word messenger can also refer to a human vessel who is communicating something on on behalf of the Lord. Angels never oversaw churches. Now, Now, no doubt there are angels in the spirit realm that we can't see even here now who watch over us and watch over our church, but specifically Jesus does not dictate a letter to a spirit being. He dictates a letter to a messenger, and the messenger of the church is the pastor. So every time you read at the beginning of a letter through chapters 2 and 3 that it's dictated to the angel of the church, it just simply means messenger, and it refers to a human vessel in this context, which is a pastor. Now, just so that you know, I'm not making this kind of thing up, Jesus actually called John the Baptist the same word in the Greek, agalos. In Matthew chapter um, 11, verse 10, uh, Jesus said, uh, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Behold, I send my messenger. It's agalos in the Greek. It is the same word. So it can refer to human vessels. And in the context of these letters, that's what it's referring to, the human vessels of the pastors over each church. Now, as we get here into chapters 2 and 3, I want to kind of set the, you know, the context of everything. So I'm going to go back to the board here, and, and we're going to take a look at the timeline of events uh, related to the end times. And I want to, I'm going to get rid of the clutter first because we haven't gotten there yet. The part that we're focusing on right now is the church age. This is going to be Revelation 1. John is writing in the church age period, so it's still included in the church age. But chapters 2 and 3 in particular deal with these letters to the seven churches. Now, when we talk about these letters to the seven churches, here's what we need to understand. First of all, these are literal churches. They were in existence in the first century in, in what is today Turkey. And just so that, because I'm, I'm kind of this way, I need visual, I need context. So let me just throw a map up for you so you can get an idea of what we're talking about here. So you see the Black Sea there, and beneath the Black Sea in ancient times is called Asia Minor. Today we're talking Turkey. These seven churches were located on the western end of Turkey along the Aegean Sea. So now we're going to highlight this particular area on the map where all seven churches were located, and here they are. We're going to start with, in chapter 2, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And then as the Lord dictates these letters to these seven churches, it actually goes in a circular, clockwise direction. We're going to go from Ephesus, and then we're going to read the letter to the church of Smyrna, and then we're going to go up to Pergamos, over to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and the last letter, the seventh letter, is the letter to the church in Laodicea. But all of these seven churches were literal churches that existed in the first century. So that's important to understand. Uh, This is not, again, uh, entirely symbolic. This is very literal. As, as we read these letters, these were dictated to seven particular churches located in what is today modern Turkey, the western side of Turkey uh, on the Aegean Sea. Now, in addition to them being literal, 
These letters are also spiritual in relevance, in that each church addresses spiritual issues relevant to believers today. So when the Lord commends them for some things and rebukes them for some things, these these are very applicable for us today too, because the spiritual relevance is, what is Jesus saying to the church even today, and we need to wake up and take notice of the things that he commends and the things that he rebukes because the spiritual application is just as true for us today. So they're literal churches that existed in the first century. They have spiritual relevance. And then it's also important to recognize the historical significance because what, we, what we're going to see as we go through these seven letters is that each church represents a different period in church history up to and including even the condition of the church today. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, give you, again, I, I, I recognize that in the study of the book of Revelation, I'm, I'm firing things at you like you're drinking out of a fire hose instead of a garden hose. I, I understand, but there's, there's no other way to do this. So I'm sorry, just drink as best as you can and, uh, and get the little booklet. All right. When we look at these seven letters, I want you to notice with you, there are seven similarities of all the seven letters, and here they are. All begin with a special title for Jesus, the author of each. He dictates each letter, and he refers to himself by a unique title in each of the seven letters. All are addressed to the angel or pastor of each church. All begin with Jesus knowing their works. He's going to talk about what they're doing in practical terms. And all contain either a commendation, a complaint, or both. And and we'll point it out as we go through. Three more things. All close with an allusion to Jesus' second coming. There's something in the letter that refers to his second coming. All close with a special promise or reward to the overcomers, to, to the believers who respond to his rebuke, who repent, who get right with him. There's a special promise in store. And all close with the same challenge. He who has an ear, let him hear. Every single letter, Jesus ends that way. If you have an ear, if you hear what I'm saying, take notice is what he says. Listen to what I'm saying and and hear just even more than the words. Hear the meaning behind what I'm saying here. Now, when we look at these seven churches on a timeline of church history, we're going to be going through it like this. You don't have to worry about all this tonight, but I just want to kind of, again, set the tone and set the stage. Each church, again, literal churches, spiritual significance, and historical relevance, each church is actually pointing to a time period on the timeline of church history. So the first letter we're going to read here in chapter 2 is the letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus represents the time period of the church from 33 AD to 100 AD. 33 AD is basically when Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2, and the church was birthed. After Jesus rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, Pentecost came, Holy Spirit fell, and then the church was basically birthed. That's 33 AD. Well, 100 AD is roughly the time when John the Apostle died. So that was the end of the apostolic age. That's what Ephesus represents. And when we go through each one, I'll explain what each one means. But then after Ephesus comes Smyrna, 100 to 312 AD. These dates have different significance, and you'll see it as we get to it. Pergamos was 312 AD to 606 AD, followed by Thyatira, 606 to 1517. 
Sardis 1517 to 1750 AD. And these last two letters, the letter to the church at Philadelphia and Laodicea, are relevant to time today. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.